Chapter One, Part One of Commentary on the Gospel of John, Book Six by Cyril of Alexandria, translated by Reverend Philip Edward Pusey and Reverend Thomas Randall. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter One: That not from sins of the soul prior to birth do bodily sufferings befall any nor yet does god bring the sins of their fathers upon any punishing those who have nothing sinned but brings righteous doom upon all st john nine two three and his disciples asked him saying rabbi who did sin this man or his parents that he should be born blind jesus answered neither did this man sin nor his parents but that the works of god should be made manifest in him being desirous and not without good reason that the mystery should be explained or rather being divinely guided the most wise disciples were urged to ask instruction on the subject and they are inquisitive with profit by this means furnishing an advantage not so much for themselves as for us for we are benefited greatly both by hearing the true explanation of these things from the omniscient and in addition also by being warned off from the abomination of effete doctrines these errors not only used to exist among the jews but are also advocated now by some who are insufferably conceited in their knowledge of inspired scripture and seem to pass for christians such persons of a truth delight too much in their own sophistries indulging their private fancies and not fearing to mingle greek error with the doctrines of the church for the jews when they were in misery greatly murmured as if merely suffering the penalty of their forefathers impiety or as if god were most unreasonably laying upon them the sins of their fathers and scoffed at it as a most unjust punishment they even said in a proverb the fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge and these again being afflicted with a like and kindred ignorance to those just mentioned by us earnestly maintained that the souls of men existed and had their being before the creation of their bodies and that these souls having turned willingly to sin even before the existence of their bodies then souls and bodies became united when in the order of chastisement the souls received birth in the flesh but in one brief statement the follies of both these parties are exposed by christ who confidently affirms that neither had the blind man sinned nor his parents he refutes the doctrine of the jews by saying that the man had not been born blind on account of any sin either of himself or of his ancestors no not even of his father or mother and he also overthrows the silly nonsense of the others who say that souls sin before their existence in the body for some one will say to them and very reasonably how tell me does christ say that neither had the blind man sinned nor his parents and yet we could not grant that they were altogether free from sin for inasmuch as they were human it is i suppose in every way likely 
or rather it of necessity follows that they fell into errors pray then what time does christ mean to define as that concerning which his word shall appears to us true that neither did the man himself sin nor indeed his parents surely he speaks of that which is previous to birth when having no existence whatever they did not sin again concerning such matters how truly frivolous and beside the mark it is to think that souls sinned before the existence of their bodies and on that account were embodied and sent into this world we have argued at length at the beginning of the present gospel in interpreting and commenting on the words that was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world and it would be superfluous for us to discuss the subject again but it is necessary to say whence it occurred to the jews to fall into this opinion and supposition also to show clearly that from inability to understand the divine word they mistook its proper meaning israel once dwelt in tents in the wilderness and god called his hierophant moses on mount sinai but when he extended his stay there with god to the number of forty days he seemed to be a loiterer to those who had influence with the people who both rose up against aaron then being alone and falling back in contempt upon the idolatries of egypt cried saying make us gods which shall go before us for as for this moses the man that brought us up out of the land of egypt we wot not what is become of him then what followed thereupon i think it necessary to speak of briefly they made a calf as it is written and at this god was justly provoked to anger then indeed he threatened to destroy the whole congregation at once moses fell down before him and sought for pardon with much entreaty the creator of the universe granted forgiveness and promised to punish the people no further than that he would not continue to go up with them to the land of promise but would send with them instead his special angel as it were in the position of leader at this moses was sorely grieved and as god was not willing to go up with the people he inferred with some likelihood indeed that the divine anger was not yet thoroughly appeased so he prayed again earnestly that god would accompany them knowing that the mere guidance of an angel would not suffice some of the israelites and perhaps also fearing the weakness of the people and therefore deprecating the holy angel's hatred of evil and he entreated the good one the lover of men the supreme king and lord over all to be willing rather to be present with those so prone to transgress for he knew that god would pardon them not once only but many times and that he would grant mercy to those who should offend and god also consented to this then moses sought a sign from him even that he might see him as a full assurance and testimony that he had forgiven them completely for said he if i have found grace in thy sight manifest thyself to me 
that i may evidently see thee that i may find grace in thy sight and that i may know that this great nation is thy people this also god granted as far as it was possible assuring in every way his own servant both that he had forgiven the people their sin and that he would go up with them to the land of promise then giving as it were a sort of finishing touch to the promises which seemed wanting he commands moses to hew out two other tables for him the former ones as we know having been broken in pieces so that he might write down the law yet again for the people even in this affording no small evidence of his kindness towards them and when moses was ready also for this the lord descended in a child as it is written and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the lord and the lord passed by before his face and proclaimed the lord god is pitiful and merciful long-suffering and abundant in mercy and true and keeping justice and showing mercy unto thousands taking away iniquities and unrighteousnesses and sins and he will not clear the guilty visiting the sins of fathers upon children and upon children's children unto the third and fourth generation but now attend carefully for i am about to take up again the question proposed at first god declares himself to show his kindness and his incomparable love of men in a manner suitable to deity for we maintain that these were the words of god not of any other speaker not as some think the words of the all-wise moses offering up laudatory prayers on behalf of the people for that it is the lord of all himself speaking these things of himself no other than the blessed moses himself will bear witness to us teaching in the book of numbers when the israelites had again taken offence from unseasonable cowardice because some who by moses at god's command had been sent to spy it out spake evil of the land of promise for when they returned from the land of the strangers and were come again to their own people they spat out bitter words concerning it affirming the land to be so wild and rugged that it was capable of eating up its inhabitants they excited so much hatred of it in the minds of their hearers that bursting into tears they now desired again to be in egypt with all its hardships for let us make said they captains and let us journey into egypt and when god threatened to destroy them moses again prayed and all but reminding him also of the promise he had given went on to cry and now let thy strength be exalted o lord according as thou hast spoken saying the lord is long-suffering and of great mercy and true forgiving transgressions and iniquities and sins and he will by no means clear the guilty visiting the sins of fathers upon children unto the third and fourth generation forgive this people their sin according to thy great mercy 
as thou hast been favourable to them from Egypt even until now. It appears, therefore, that he who is God over all attributes to himself love of men and the greatest forbearance towards evil. It will be fitting in the next place to set forth the cause on account of which the Jews, being deceived, could suppose our good God to be mindful of injury and exceeding wrathful. For my part, I do not think them able to lay hold of the divine oracles in any way, or to cavil at them as if they have not expressed what is most excellent, or have strayed far from the law of fairness. On the other hand, I think that they only indulge their own ignorance in this matter, to suppose the sins of fathers to be really brought upon children and the divine anger to be stretched so far that it may even reach to the third and fourth generation, exacting unjustly from innocent persons the penalties of others' crimes. Would it not at all events be more becoming to them, if they were wise, to hold the opinion that the source of righteousness and of our moral laws would do nothing so shameful, for even men inflict punishments according to the laws upon habitual transgressors, but by no means visit them on their children, unless perchance they are detected as partners and associates in the misdeeds. And as to him who prescribed to us the laws of all justice, how can he be detected in inflicting penalties such as among ourselves are greatly condemned? then this also in addition is to be considered by the mouth of moses he published laws innumerable and in many cases those living in bad habits were ordered to be punished but nowhere is a command from him to be found that children should share the penalties incurred by their sinning fathers for penalty is for those who are detected in crime and it was ordained that it was fitting to punish those only who were obnoxious to the law. To think as the Jews do is therefore surely impious, but it is certainly the part of a wise man to investigate the divine mind, and by every means to observe what things are agreeable to nature, the queen of all things. Rightly, therefore, let us hold that the God of the universe setting as it were before him his inherent clemency, willing to be admired for his pure love of men, and to this end proclaiming, The Lord is long-suffering and of great mercy and true, forgiving transgressions and sins, would not wish to be known as so mindful of evil that he extends his anger even to the fourth generation inclusive, for how can he still be long-suffering and of great mercy? Or how does he forgive transgressions and sins, who cannot endure to limit the infliction of penalty to the person of the sinner, but extends it beyond the third generation, and, like a sort of thunderbolt, assaults even the innocent? Surely, then, it is quite incredible, and of almost utter folly, to suppose that God attributes to himself together with love of men and gentleness, anger so lasting and so unreasonable. To these things another may be added by those who support the Jewish opinion, 
and do not allow that god knows a suitable time for every kind of action for if he promises long-suffering and is found to yield very easily in laying aside his anger why is he seen to have added visiting the sins of fathers upon children unto the third and fourth generation of course this was done for no other reason than a wish to frighten those who expect remission of sins from him as showing that the object of their hopes should never be realized since he who with reason is grieved with them is so mindful of evil and tenacious in anger but further tell me what the hierophant moses himself indicates to us would he not seem to do a thing most opposite to all reason if when israel had given offence and was about to suffer punishment he proceeded to pray for them and while asking for oblivion of the offence and an exhibition of god's love for men he should unseasonably say to god thou art of such a nature that thou requitest the sins of fathers upon children's children for this would be rather the way of one instigating to anger than of one calling for mercy and of one asking mindfulness of injury rather than long-suffering but in my opinion by these words he seemed to importune god and to recall to his memory almost the very words which he himself uttered when he publicly proclaimed his inherent goodness for in what way he is long-suffering and of great mercy and how he is by nature one who takes away sins and transgressions will be most excellently discerned in the very dealings wherein he seems to be somewhat bitter in the next place then i think it is fitting to set forth in what way we may rightly understand the words which were spoken by god the lord he says is long-suffering and of great mercy taking away transgressions and sins then we will read that which immediately follows as if with a note of interrogation and will he not surely clear the guilty so that thou mayest understand something of this sort will not says he the long-suffering and greatly merciful god who takes away transgressions and sins will he not surely clear the guilty of course it is not to be doubted certainly he will thoroughly purge him for how is he long-suffering and of great mercy and how does he at all take away sins unless he purges the guilty at these words he goes off to a demonstration of his inherent long-suffering and forbearance even that he will visit the sins of the fathers upon children unto the third and fourth generation not chastising the son for the father do not think this nay not even does he lay upon a descendant the faults of his ancestors like a burden but meaning something of this sort there was we will suppose a certain man a transgressor of laws having his mind full of all wickedness and who being taken in this manner of living deserved to be punished without any respite but yet god in forbearance dealt with him patiently not bringing upon him the wrath he had merited 
then to him was born a son a rival of his father in impious deeds and outdoing his parent in villainy god also showed long-suffering towards this man but from him is born a third and from the third a fourth in no way inferior to their progenitors in wickedness but practising equal impiety with them then god pours out wrath upon them already even from the beginning deserved by the whole race after he has tolerated as much as and even more than it behoved him a postponement of vengeance even unto the fourth generation how is it not truly a commendation of divine gentleness for that he is wont to chastise neither son for father nor father for son it is not hard to learn from those words which by the voice of the prophet ezekiel he clearly spake to the jews themselves when over this same thing they murmured and said the fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge and says he the word of the lord came unto me saying son of man what mean ye by this proverb in israel saying the fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge as i live saith the lord this proverb shall be said no more in israel for all souls are mine as the soul of the father so also the soul of the son they are mine the soul that sinneth it shall die the son shall not bear the iniquity of the father neither shall the father bear the iniquity of his son each in his own iniquity in which he hath sinned in that shall he die but i suppose no one is so foolish as to think that god did not at the beginning legislate in the most excellent way but somehow changed his plans and altered his ideas for the better and like one of ourselves was with difficulty and after subsequent deliberation able to improve his legislation to what was most fitting in such a case if we praise the earlier laws we shall clearly be blaming the later and if we express an opinion that the later laws are superior we shall condemn the earlier by our lower estimation of them god too will legislate in opposition to himself and will have fallen short as we may have done of a perfect standard by ordaining one thing at one time and a different thing at another time but i suppose every one will say that the divine nature cannot be in any way subject to such inconsistencies as this and could not even have ever fallen short of absolute perfection it is then as a demonstration of his incomparable munificence that he alleges the words quoted above namely requiting the sins of fathers upon children unto the third and fourth generation for that the merciful god is wont to punish sinners not immediately but rather to do it reluctantly and to put off punishments for long seasons thou wilt understand from his own words and i was full of mine anger and restrained it and did not make a full end of them and again in another place for the iniquity of the amorites is not yet full thou seest that he was indeed full of anger 
for some were perpetrating deeds deserving fullness of anger but as god he forbore patiently and delayed to make a full end of those who offended him but in order that we may exhibit to thee as in a picture the proof of what we have said and from actual events demonstrate the praise of god's love for men to be contained in this text i will bring forward something recorded in the sacred books and will endeavour from the divine scripture itself to show the sins of fathers visited on children even to the third and fourth generation not unjustly but justly and in a manner merited by the sufferers themselves the story shall be summarized because of the length of the narrative well then in the first book of kings we read that after other kings ahab reigned over israel and burning with a most unrighteous desire for another man's vineyard he slew the lord of it even naboth for although he did not himself command that deed yet he expressed no anger at the wickedness of his wife at this god was of course wroth and spake to ahab by elijah the prophet thus saith the lord forasmuch as thou hast killed and also taken possession therefore thus saith the lord in the place where the swine and the dogs licked the blood of naboth there shall the dogs lick thy blood and the harlots shall wash themselves in thy blood and again immediately thus saith the lord behold i bring evil upon thee and will kindle a fire behind thee and will utterly destroy from ahab every male and him that is shut up and left in israel and i will make thy house like the house of jeroboam the son of nebat and like the house of baasha the son of ahab for the provocations wherewith thou hast provoked me to anger and made israel to sin and of jezebel he spake saying the dog shall eat her within the outer wall of jezreel and him that dieth of ahab in the city the dog shall eat and him that dieth in the field shall the birds of the air eat when the lord of all unmistakably threatened to do all these things and to inflict them ahab rent his garment and entered into his house as it is written he was pricked to the heart and burst bitterly into tears and girded his loins with sackcloth in which state god pities him and begins to allay his anger and putting as it were a bridle to his sudden fury says to the prophet hast thou seen how ahab was pricked to the heart before me i will not bring these things in his days but in his son's days i will bring the evil will it not therefore be right to inquire upon whom these things were fulfilled well the son of ahab was ahaziah who scripture says did evil in the sight of the lord and walked in the way of his father ahab and in the way of jezebel his mother then the son of ahaziah was scripture says joram of whom again it is written that he walked in the sins of the house of jeroboam next to joram reigned a third ahaziah of whom again the language of the narrative says that he did evil in the sight of the lord as did the house of ahab 
but when the time had now come for punishing the house of ahab which had not ceased from impiety towards god even to the fourth generation there was anointed to be the next king over israel jehoshaphat son of nimshi who slew ahaziah and beside him jezebel he slew also seventy other sons of ahab carrying out as it were the divine wrath to the uttermost so that he obtained both honour and favour on account of it for what saith god to him because thou hast done well in executing that which is right in mine eyes and hast done unto the house of ahab according to all that was in mine heart thy children of the fourth generation shall sit upon thy throne thou seest therefore that he reluctantly punished in the fourth generation the wicked descendants of wicked men whereas to him from whom he received honour he extends his mercy even to the fourth generation cease therefore o jew to accuse the righteousness of god as a form of encomium certainly we will accept that saying requiting the sins of fathers upon children unto the third and fourth generation End of chapter one part one